Hi everyone, I'm Martin Tyler. You are listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Jackie Weaver and I've got the authority, so I'm going to chuck any of these into a virtual waiting room if they do kick off this week. Maybe causing me problems this week, I have, as always, Rob Worrell. Hiya, Rob. Hi, Luke. You are a problem causer, I know that. <laughs> and we've also got Chris Pratt. Hiya, Chris. Hello, Luke. And uh, Tom Lang's here. Hiya, Tom. Hi, Luke. How you doing? Good. And also joining us, it is Dickie Wharton. Hiya, Dickie. Hi there. Good to speak to you. And also joining us today, we have the media officer from Wheelstone FC, The Stones, it is Chris Woods. Hiya, Chris. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Uh, well, we'll get straight into that, Chris. I mean, it's been... We had John Kieran on from Stockport last week and he said it, it's been an eventful couple of weeks. And it's been um, an eventful week at Wheelstone, hasn't it, as well, with, with Dean Brennan leaving? Yeah, certainly. So it's, um, it's been one of the less quiet weeks, definitely. Um and just other sort of bits with the league that's going on at the moment. And we've had postponements and, and everything else. So it has been a very, very busy week at the club. Um, I mean, was it, did it come out the blue for you a little bit, him leaving? I know he's not just, uh, he's not just washed his dirty laundry in public. He's hung it up on the line as well, hasn't he? Uh, it was a big shock. Yes. Cause I'd only spoken to him. Um, that all happened on Tuesday evening. I spoke to him on the Monday evening um, just about some press releases for some new loan players that we just signed. And he was very happy with with the dealings we made and um, was very optimistic and looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, so, yeah, it was a bit out of the blue. I, I think um, I listened to Dave Anderson as well on a, on another podcast show. I won't mention their name. Um, Dave who? That he spoke to. <laughs> that he spoke to them Tuesday after spoke to him Tuesday afternoon and he was all refining and getting ready for our next game and yeah I think it was a big shock to everyone certainly when things like this happen at Wildstone there's whispers amongst fans and they sort of hear to begin with but this was completely yeah big shock to everyone but, uh, yeah and as you say um the, the club have we've made our statement and then Dean's Dean's given his version of events as well what do you make of it, Ollie? A bit disappointed, kind of. There has been a bit of mudslinging after the event. It's a shame. It is a shame, but that's that's up to up to the dean and his response to the statement we put out. So, I think you don't like to see it, but you know, Dean did a fantastic job at the club. He's he's he got us promoted. His team played brilliant football, brilliant, brilliant football. So when I come back to the club at the start of the season in around October, November time. It, I, I just struck me straight away what a brilliant football inside this is. And, and to be struggling like we are at the moment, even with the resources we have, there's a lot from, um, I think Dean, Dean mentioned it quite a bit in his interviews that we have one of, if not the smallest budget in the league. We're only training twice a week. Once one of those sessions is over Zoom, it's not even face-to-face. And it's very, very hard work for a manager in in what is essentially a full-time league. And it could be a case of maybe teams are starting to figure us out maybe, but I don't know. I think the quality's always been there. And I think on on the team's day, they they could give anyone, they get a win off anybody in this league as far as I'm concerned. But it's also worth remembering that we have Stuart there now 
And Stuart was a big part of the success in Dean's backroom staff as well. So I don't think there's there's too much different in in the philosophies and all that, and, unless Stuart wants to sort of implement that over a longer period of time. But we played Saturday, we played the same system, same players, more or less. We had one lad making his debut, but that was it really. Obviously, you've just mentioned that Stuart Maynard uh, remains um, and that he'll be taking the club forward, in, certainly in the short term at least. Do you think, is that a, a case more of trying to retain continuity when someone as big as Dean Brennan's uh, departed? Or do you think Stuart's genuinely in the frame for the job? Uh, I think the fact that he's there now and his caretaker manager would probably suggest that if he does a good job, he's, then he makes a very good case for himself becoming manager. Um, and then going back to the first part, I'm not I'm not sure it, that's probably one more that the board can answer better, really, than, than I can. Um, like I say, the target at the start of the season, and Dean made this public as well whilst he was manager at Goldstone, was to get to 50 points and stay in the division, be safe. I think we're at 23 now. I don't think the target would have changed. We've not even played half our games yet. And I, I imagine for Stuart, the goals and objectives still remain the same as they were for when Dean was manager. Chris, even looking now as we do um, in early February at the league table, um, it doesn't look too bad for Wilston, although relatively it looks quite bad com- compared to how it looked six weeks ago, doesn't it? Um, it's been a... A roller coaster of a, of a ride so far back in uh, up in the National League. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think we play very high risk football. It's very attacking, and as you would have saw with the Aldershot game last week, Rob, that that game was always going to have goals in it because Aldershot play a similar kind of football as well. I think there was a stage. Yeah, I think we won away at Halifax and went second in the division, and that was in late November um, so it is a bit of a you could say it's, it's a shock but it's the National League isn't it everybody can beat everybody and um, I think right now there's teams behind us winning and it, it does look a bit more scary than it did like you say six weeks ago but it's in our hands we, very rare good, you, yeah sorry I was going to say it's very rare you get a nil-nil at Wheelstone isn't it <laughs> very rare yes yes um i think by the end of this year i'll probably start getting more gray hairs watching it uh, it's very uh very gun-ho but it's, it's that's, that's what won us the league last year it's that's you know they they dismantled title rivals last season they beat bath 7-0 bath was second in the league at the time they beat haven't 4-2 in their own backyard you know the team played brilliant stuff it's just i think they just need to it's just the confidence thing, I think. Once they get their confidence back, they'll start giving games to these sides again, even in this division. I think it was maybe a bit of an error to let Billy Clifford go, who was seen as one of the best midfielders in the division last year. Um, and now he's obviously, you know, haven't and, and again doing very well. Yeah, well, I wasn't in the club at the time in the summer when we was offering new deals. I think he probably was offered a new deal because, like you say, he was a very key player last year. And in, in a couple of occasions when I did go and watch the side last year, he struck out as as the one who made that side tick, really. It's probably a shame losing him, but I think having even been in division below are probably a lot more better resource than Wildstone are in the National League at the moment. And Chris, we'll come on very shortly, I'm sure, to review the last 16 FA Trophy ties that did take place yesterday. Um, and obviously, Wildstone were amongst that. Uh, difficult trip 
a what, long trip away up north to Darlington and uh, ultimately uh, it didn't go your way. No, it was um, that's, that's probably been our worst performance of the season. If I'm being perfectly honest, I'm sure everyone in the management team and players will hold their hands up and admit the same thing too, which is a shame because you know, the club has good FA Trophy pedigree. You know, they've, they've had some brilliant runs in the trophy, certainly in, in recent history and won the trophy in 1985 too. So it's, it's a big deal at the club and some clubs don't really take it as serious as they should. But for a club like Wildstone and especially the prize money as well, that's not to be sniffed at for any club at the moment. Do you think the disruption of this week cause helps with that result? Do you think maybe the minds were, weren't on it? Not to say the minds were on it, but do you think it took a bit of focus out of the game? Possibly. That's probably one that Stuart could answer better than me. But um, I think they're, profe- well, they're semi-professional footballers. I'm, I'm not sure. I think they're National League South champions. You know, They were lifting the title in the summer. So they're all very, very good players. And to put, to put in a performance like that falls below the standards they've set for themselves. Dickie, you'll have watched Darlington, I'm sure, at some point this season or kept an eye on them. Uh, tremendous result for them. Well, yeah, Rob. I mean, they, 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 it was Darlington that put paid to Telford's chances a week before Christmas, knocking them out um, in a penalty shootout. And yeah, seen them once before that in the league as well. And yeah, they're a dangerous side that I think they're not, they're not, they weren't doing as uh, they weren't as high in the league as perhaps I imagined they would be at the start of the season. But that's perhaps more of the, by virtue of the fact that they just haven't played as many games as anybody else. But but under Alan Armstrong, I did tip them to to have a stronger season um, with Adam Campbell up front, who, who who wasn't on target yesterday, and Dan Maguire, and neither was he as well, which shows that they've also got you know perhaps a little bit of depth there as well. But um, yeah, it's not it's not an easy place to go, Darlington. You know, it's a long trip and. Uh, and, you know, on the face of it, you know, Darlington might not have an awful much more to look forward to this season. They voted to, to null and void the leagues, but have, but have opted to take part in the FA Trophy. So they probably gave it their absolute all yesterday. Now, Chris, I'm not so sure that comment you made about by the end of this year, you'll be showing some grey hair because uh, I think you're already on the Grecian 2000, mate. You had a couple of years at Aldershot. How do you look back at that time there? <laughs> uh but personally, or just as how the club was? No, just personally. I mean, it was a step up for you, wasn't it, at the time? Um, also quite challenging in terms of the way the role was defined by the chief executive at the time. Wasn't an ideal circumstance to work in, was it, as a, as a part-time media manager in a full-time club? Uh, it definitely wasn't, no. But I did, in the sense of the part-time stuff, I knew what I was getting myself in for. I, I knew that it was going to be a hard, hard work for the money it was paying as well um, and that's ultimately if, if it paid a little bit better I probably would have still stayed there but you know I've got to think about myself I've got, got to pay my rent at the end of the month you know and traveling up and down the country doesn't really give me every every weekend doesn't really give me opportunity to earn much money elsewhere at the time and that's I just made decision for my career really now I'm in it in a good job and Wildstone's part-time so in every sense of the word as well. It's a part-time club and I'm I'm doing a part-time role there. It's evenings and weekends, which is, that suits me down to the ground. Um, it's obviously, if the side was winning and they continued their success from the two years previous, it probably would have been a much better atmosphere around the club than it was at the time. But um, yeah, it was a very, very difficult job. And certainly 
I think was asked to do more than what was on the on the um this job description when I applied for it definitely uh, but that sort of got better as the season came to an end anyway it sort of got more relaxed atmosphere in the club and and just yeah everyone was a bit more easier to work with with the fear obviously at the time Rob as you know of, of relegation hanging over the club as well which just yeah you wouldn't ever picture after the two years previous the club would be in that position no matter what really um so yeah it was a big shock to everyone we got the reprieve in the end and I was actually looking really forward to working with um Danny and his new management team at the time when they first joined the club and then just this, this job I'm in now came up and it's much closer to home as well and it just it just felt right the time to do that. Just a quickie I'm sure all of us here on the podcast all six of us uh, present at the moment can relate to the fact that the media side of things is literally the best place to be when the club you're involved with is winning and absolutely the worst place to be when they've lost and and that's when those of us and I know it's not all of us but those of us that are fans it's it's hardest because the fan in you just wants to sling your coat over your shoulder and get out of the ground but uh, you have to remember other responsibilities. The most, uh, the most difficult part is that you spend 90 minutes at the side of the pitch getting freezing and, and soaked wet through. But then if you don't win, no one wants to see your photos, um, be that players, fans, anyone. So you might as well just take, take your memory card and throw it in the bin for the work you've done that afternoon. <laughs> yeah, Dickie, you, um, I think you fall into the category, it's fair to say, don't you, that uh, the job you do is for the club that you love? <laughs> Yeah, it is. You know, I I found myself um, in the role essentially um, because it was available um, and because I was a fan. Um, and yeah, it, it is challenging at those times. You know, it, it's difficult. I like to think that I can maybe see it from both sides now that having been a fan and being on more of the club side of it. Um, but then there's also times when that doesn't make it any easier. You know, you, you, you can have an understanding of how you know, the the management and the players wanted to go about things. And then you hear criticisms from fans who don't understand necessarily the way that they're trying to do things. And, and you know, I can't answer for the manager that, that that's up to him to sort of explain that to the, to the fans as to why they're playing a particular way or why he's, you know, picking particular players over other players. But, um, yeah, so it's given me a sense of balance, but at the same time, um, sometimes sitting on the fence is a precarious place to be. A lot of people that listen to our podcast are interested in the football media side themselves, be that um, you know sports journalists, students who are interested in non-league. And often non-league's a great place for people who are interested in a, in a full career in sports journalism, media, broadcasting, to sort of uh, cut their teeth and, and get to know the industry. What sort of progression, what opportunities would you say people should be looking for out there? Um, to get into these sort of roles. So the guy who was there before, um, Deck, who'd done a brilliant job, was a UCFB student um, studying sports journalism and it, he's he's got a job at Luton Town out of it. So th- this is this is the proving grounds really for these for these young people who want to have a future in the industry. And it's just it's it's a brilliant place to network as well. It's dead it's dead easy as well, isn't it? Because if you're a fan of the club um, you can just go to, if you're interested in that side of it, just go to the club and say I want to get involved and it opens many doors for you you enhance your skills and also you get to watch the game for free yeah <laughs> it's not just the media side I mean not just the media side I know at Hampton we make full use of sort of 
we've got uh, stats guys from university who come in and help with the academy and come in and help with the first team stats, the media side of things, um, the technical side with the streaming that so many non-league clubs are doing now. So it's, I think it's a really great place for for young people who are looking at a future career. One really good example um, of this, I think someone that certainly Luke and I, maybe perhaps others amongst us know her, but uh, Emily Lyles, um, she uh, did the hard graph for free at uh, the likes of Accrington and Morecambe and then at Kidderminster, I'm sure, Dickie, you'll, you'll have come across Emily as well. Um, and then on the back of uh, all her work with those three clubs, she got a job in the media department at Aston Villa. She uh, got to go to all the premiership grounds one season, then the relegation, all the championship sides. The, she went to uh, Wembley with Villa as well and, 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 and had a, a strong involvement with the uh, ladies team at Aston Villa. So, uh, Emily's a really good example. I think now she works for the FA at St George's Park of, of what She's good rugby football, come. rugby football union now. Exactly that. Well, there you go. You see a lot of progression. And, and so I think, the, you know, the consensus here is to any, any, anybody that wants to get involved, get stuck in, go and get your hands dirty, go and volunteer for your local non-league club and it could lead to better things. I, I just wanted to ask as well, Chris, I mean, how have you found it with the... Um... With the restrictions now, how difficult have you found it to get into some grounds? Because some are really stricter than others. And I know some people have had, we've, we've spoke about Boreham Wood and not letting in the journalists from South End. I mean, in terms of what you put into place at Wealdstone, is, do you have to be strict or is it kind of you've got to be use common sense sometimes? I think currently, and I'll probably have to fact check this, is we let in four people from visiting media has changed sometimes as this COVID situation's got worse, but um, I found it's certainly getting a lot stricter around now. So Darlington didn't have any visiting media and we have Torquay on Tuesday night. They're not having any visiting media, which like from the work side of things, that's brilliant for me because I don't have to make the eight hour round trips and I can wake up nice and early for work the next day. <laughs> and uh, But it's certainly been interesting. I've, I'd much rather go, to be honest, and, and visit a new ground and, and see a new place and a new town. But you're not really at the moment, are you? You're not like you can go and explore or anything like that at the moment. It's it's very strange. I I don't um I don't really feel uppity about it if if a club says you can't go. That's that's up to them, and it's feel it if that's what's safe for them. I actually caught COVID over the Christmas period, and I'm sure I caught that. At the, at the football I'm certain I call it there because a, a few of us got it so it's definitely um, it's, it's definitely clubs need to do what they need to do to be safe in my opinion anyway I had no idea that some clubs were completely restricting visiting media I know that um, quite a few have been saying no to sort of third party media requests but certainly in the National League South I've not had like every single club has allowed visiting media yeah it's quite quite a lot in the Prem uh, doing that, I know that from um, well from being around the Stockport County guys who have got a big media team, um, but I know that they've been certainly been restricted uh, with a lot of. Clubs. Some are not travelling too. Even yeah. if they are allowed, they're still taking their media team just just to, for, to restrict as much numbers travelling as possible. Just finally, then, Chris, before we'll we'll let you shoot off. Um, in terms of the way the season's going, I mean how. What do you think is going to happen ultimately? We've heard we've heard a lot on the podcast over the last couple of weeks for and against. My gut feeling is that the National League Premier will carry on. Uh, I think that 
if it does, I think that's still to the detriment of a few clubs in the division. I think I'm of the personal opinion that we should maybe pause it for a few weeks until the situation clears up a bit. It's, it's looking now as like next month, they're talking about fans could be in the ground again. So the situation's slowly improving as a nation, but I think we just need to pause, take a step back and, and review it properly. This doing this and getting decisions done so quickly and rushed and still having to play games too at the same time I don't think it's very helpful to anyone I think they'll I think if we need to make a decision in the 28 days time I, I can't see the North and South carrying on but I could see the Premier carrying on just for the fact of keeping that important relationship with the EFL as well and I think particularly with, with the words you're using rushed I think we've been getting there's a 28 day window but some clubs voted within 24 hours of the announcement. So their, their positions are clearly quite entrenched. Even in the three or four days since since then, we've seen the situation change. We now know there's going to be free testing at all three steps of the National League. Um, that in and of itself changes some people's positions. Um, we've seen from the likes of Concord that some clubs, players, are willing to take pay cuts. And I know that there are other clubs at step two, whose players are doing the same, but it hasn't been publicised uh, like Concord have done. So the situation is changing on a daily basis now. I just feel that by people sticking their card down too early, we might be in a situation where some clubs are looking at it and thinking, I'd kind of like to change my vote now. It's really interesting you say that, Tom, because I, I know Mark, I asked a question to Mark White last week saying, have we rushed it all a little bit? And me thinking as well behind the sort of the loans and the grants, you know, the clubs bite the bullet and take the loan for a month because by March you could well have a percentage of fans back in, which maybe brings some more income back in. So, like you say, I think it's almost like a do you stick or twist? And like you say, Tom, I think some clubs have gone too early. They've literally gone, no, we're not doing that. And and now it's kind of in in a couple of weeks' time, you could be looking at maybe getting some funding, potentially seeing fans coming back in the ground in a month. And also, like you say, with the COVID testing as well. Alex Petherin made a very good point, the Gloucester City chairman, um, where he said that most players who are contracted, their contracts run until the last week of May with the opportunity to be extended if they go into the playoffs. We know that the furlough scheme, as it stands, ends in April. So there's still going to be an awful lot of clubs who are left with choices to either lay off players and accept the redundancy payments that come with that or pay wages for potentially up to two months with no furlough payments coming in and no revenue at all, not even stream revenue, if they were to null and the season. It's a really difficult position and I just think that they're making choices and statements quite early. Really interesting comments by Liam Watson as well yesterday. We'll get on to their results shortly, but he gave quite a forthright interview, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I watched that yesterday evening and... and... I think people who still want, you know, things to continue could still see, you know, the, the, the points that Liam Watson was making there, which was essentially about the lack of leadership that's that's been shown by the National League, really. And, and the fact that they, the decisions that they're making, I think he felt that, you know, that by giving the vote to the clubs, they're essentially pushing that responsibility onto the clubs, you know, for them making their choice about whether it continues or not by or you know and not showing any leadership essentially and I think there was some some criticism for for, for Mark Ives now who's taken over at the National League um after Michael Tattersall's departure as well um and you know Liam Watson has been willing to, to to nail his colours to the mast there and 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 say exactly what he thinks and how he feels about it brilliant uh, thanks for joining us Chris Thanks, Luke. Thanks, guys. Good to speak to you all, um, certainly about some key issues in the game at the moment, in our game in the National League.
Over 5 million homes are at risk of flooding, yet many people don't realize they're in danger. Even if you've never been flooded before, it can happen to you. Protect your family and home. Prepare, act, survive. Prepare a bag including medicines and insurance documents. Act by moving important items upstairs or as high as possible. Survive by listening to emergency services. Search what to do in a flood and sign up to flood warnings on gov.uk. So let's look at the rest of the FA Trophy results. It was an early kickoff and an entertaining game down in Hampshire, southern Hampshire, by the coast. It was having a Waterlooville against Notts County. It finished 2 all. Notts County took the lead through Matty Wolf. Tommy Wright equalised. Then Bethsede Gomez got the second goal just after halftime before Jimmy Knowles equalised. And Nico Jones saw red in the 70th minute for Haven and Waterlooville. Both opening penalties were missed by Craig Robson for Haven and Jim O'Brien for Notts County. But then all penalties were scored until the Australian Aaron Williams missed, which allowed Richard Brinley to slot home the winning penalty. Really entertaining game down there, wasn't it, in the end? That was, that was Aaron Williams' his debut as well, wasn't it? That's pretty unfortunate to miss the crucial penalty on your debut. Game of the day was... Was it down in East London at Hornchurch? I mean, what a game there. Two goals for Sam Higgins, who we know well from his time at Chelmsford and Concord. George Porter also bagged two for Maidstone, who led 2-1 and 3-2. But it wasn't a great day for Joe Ellul. You could say he had an Ellul of a day. Uh, He scored an own goal and also saw red. And then Liam Nash in the seventh minute of injury time scored and he finished Hornchurch 5, Maidstone 4. What what an entertaining game if you were there as a a, a neutral media person. I think one of the things we really need to draw out about a step three side winning in the trophy at the moment is the step three sides have been gutted as well. They haven't been playing games. They've not been, um, you know, they've got no match fitness at all. And half their players have been hemorrhaged to the local step two sides um, to bolster their squads at the moment. So not only is it an impressive result for Hornchurch to have beaten Maidstone, but it's even more impressive when you consider the specific circumstances it's been done in. Maidstone are full-timers with no Robin. It's a massive blow for them, that, isn't it? It will be a huge blow. Um, they kept pegging back in that one, didn't they? But ultimately, Hornchurch always found themselves uh, another goal. I think... Um, Whilst Maidstone are still full time, I think um, there's there's it's forward thinking club. I think at Hornchurch, hasn't it? It's uh, I think they've had a, a decent budget for a few years now. They've been threatening to do something, but it's really put them on the map now. Yeah, and it'd be interesting again. The money's vital at this level. Uh, as we mentioned before about Liam Watson's interview, he was speaking after Southport entertained the National League leaders Torquay. And it finished 2-0 to Torquay, but they didn't have it all their own way. Joshua Murrow opened the scoring on eight minutes and it took them until the second minute of injury time when Billy Waters scored. I know just before that, Southport had a really clear penalty shout turned down, which Liam Watson wasn't too happy about as well. But Gary Johnson, I know his focus will be on promotion, but still quite a strong side he sent up there and he'll be pleased to have got through in what would have been horrible conditions there by the seaside. Well, they're used to playing by the seaside, aren't they, Torquay? So uh, they, they would have felt uh, very much at home apart from the, the long journey there. But yeah, all credit to Southport for uh, for staying in the game for as long as they did because as we know, Torquay have been turning over everyone in their wake at the moment. And I think... Um, I think to keep the ball rolling, it's a good thing for Torquay. I remember at the, the previous round, I spoke to Neil Hardley about this and he said, you know, we like to take this one, this, this tournament seriously because it keeps us turning over, it keeps us rolling. It might be an extra game every now and then. 
And who knows, it may be more difficult to fit those games in with uh, with the weather that we're forecasting the next couple of weeks and everything. But uh, I'd say Torquay would be really happy with that victory, actually. Yeah, as you know, Dick, it's a tough place to go, Southport, isn't it? Especially with the style of play as well. Yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah, that you know, that's good progress there from Torquay. I, I, again, watched Liam Watson's interview when he was talking about the actual game. Um, and he felt that they gave as good as they got in that game. I think they were a little bit um, hands-tied a little. They, they were missing Marcus Carver up front because um, his, his wife's expecting a, a baby anytime soon. So, um, yeah, I think Southport gave it their all and, and felt a little bit unlucky. I know they were felt aggrieved that there should have been a penalty given. Um, you know, Liam Watson said just about everybody in the ground, which wasn't that many people, um, felt it was a penalty other than the referee. And then, you know, to concede the second in the 90th minute, he said, well, you know, we may as well lose 4-0 as, you know, lose 1-0 at least that they had a go. And I think he was he was pleased that they'd at least done that and, and you know, given a good account of themselves against the National League leaders. The lowest-ranked team left in the competition, Peter Sports, they travelled to Oxford City, a pretty comfortable win for the National League South side in the end. James Robertson, Reese Fleet, Scoring there. Uh, also, Sutton nil, Woking one. Maliki Napper on loan from Oxford United with the goal there. And uh, the all National League North tie, Hereford one, Leamington nil. Chris Camwell in the fourth minute there. And a decent result that Dickie for Hereford after selling leading scorer Linnell John Lewis to Grinsby this last week. Yeah, it is. It's been a, a bit of an interesting week, and I know there were some some ructions around Lionel John Lewis's move about um, um, some possible um, flaws in his contract that that turned up when it, when he actually sought his move away from Grimsby. I mean, we don't know much about the legalities of that, so clearly we can't comment on it too much. Um, but yeah, they brought in um, um, a replacement in um, Joey Butlin, who is, who's been at Chasetown. So he actually scored against Telford in the FA Cup this season. Clearly, he's available. He's probably going to come slightly cheaper than Linnell John Lewis as well. Um, and yeah, that, that it, when you consider the run that Leamington have been on as well, I think that's something like Hereford's eighth game unbeaten now as well. Leamington has certainly been in, uh, on a good run as well. You know, after having come through in that really bizarre tie last time round, you know, I think Leamington would have been fancying their chances. They got to the quarterfinals last year before getting knocked out by uh, Concord Rangers. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that's you know, that's terrific for Hereford to, to, to be in the last eight. I bet Butlin's a lot of fun, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a shame they don't play in yellow, isn't it? You know, the, the, the yellow coach jokes. I think they do when they play away from home. But uh, I know you're good as well because you can't use your pun about the shop anymore for John Lewis, can you? Another oh no, that that is a disappointment. You know, we'll we'll let somebody in the EFL have that one. But um, no, I suppose you know. Again, coming back to touching on the continuation of the season and the COVID thing again, we mentioned Darlington earlier, and we've mentioned Hereford, two National League North clubs into the last eight. You know that they are the two National League North sides who still have the most league games left to play. One's got thirty-one games to play, the other's got thirty, and now they've got an FA Trophy tie on top of that to go in as well. So that that fixture congestion, if the league does continue, just doesn't get any easier for those two teams. And just uh, coming in on uh, your brief mention there of the. Uh, Woking win in the uh, last 16 at Sutton. That was a fantastic result for Alan Dowson's men um, at the weekend because uh, they don't have a very good record against Sutton. But what Woking do have, of course, is a fine history in the FA Trophy, having uh, been uh, winners three years out of four back in the 90s. 
Um, but they've not been in the best of form of late, Woking, and they've not been uh, stacking up back-to-back uh, three-pointers in the league. Uh, that was a tremendous show of character to go there and a fine goal to win from Malachi Napper as well. An overhead kick, uh, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard good things about. Yeah, so the only game that didn't take place in the FA Trophy was the last 16 tie between Aldershot and Chesterfield. And Rob caught with Danny Searle and to give us a bit more of an explanation as to why. Been joined by Danny Searle some three quarters of an hour before Aldershot are due to play Chesterfield in the FA Trophy. But uh, can you uh, give us some very late news on this? Yeah, unfortunately, um, the game's been postponed due to one of the Chesterfield uh, players with have, having suspected COVID symptoms failed what is a provisional test. Um, and th- to be honest with you, Rob, that's as, that's as far as we know. All we do know is the game is off today. Yeah, it's terribly sad news. Um, obviously, it's safety first, Danny, isn't it? And and they have to follow the protocols that are in place. It's very, very early days, but um, I believe the competition rules are that the game must be played within five days of the original tie. So presumably... I guess one of a couple of options, maybe uh, either Aldershot are given a buy now or Chesterfield send a team of sorts on, on Tuesday night. Yeah, look, I think the most important thing from Chesterfield's perspective now would be to give that, that player a proper test, if you want, for a better word. And obviously, if he fails that, then everybody who's, who's in close contact with him on that coach would have to isolate for 10 days and then it would be down to Chesterfield to make a decision on whether they, like you said, send down a... Uh, I don't know what their youth system's like. I have no idea whether they send a young side down or whether, or whether we would be put through. But either way, um, Tuesday's game would potentially be in doubt. And just to rule out one other thing, I don't think it's a possibility. But I, you know, you could see the common sense in it. But I don't think there's any way that a game can be played on Tuesday and count for both competitions, can it? No. <laughs> and, and nor would we want it to um, unless we won obviously winner takes all yeah yeah that would be that would be nice no look I think like like you've already alluded to Rob the bottom line is health and safety and the well-being of the players and staff is is at the forefront and we're we've got I've got a very disappointed dressing room because they were up today we've done a lot of work to prepare for today but you can't be putting people's lives at risk and that's that's what the greater greater picture is you are when you are putting Covid around you are putting people's lives at risk because you just don't know how people are going to react to it. And fair play to Chesterfield for their honesty. And obviously for myself and everybody at Allshot, we wish that particular player and all of all of their staff and players the very best and hope that there's nothing too serious. So let's now move on and look at the National League. And in the National League, some, uh, some big games, big results, and also some big news as well. Um, we'll start off with, uh, with the game... That- Involved the team nearest to the top of the table. Uh, Stockport played Yeovil and it was the late game on BT Sport. Uh, a 1-0 win for Stockport and a good win that, Chris, after they, they bounced back from the home defeat to Sutton. I know John Kieran was worried about Sutton when he spoke last week and so it proves Sutton ran out 2-0 winners. But uh, the first time you've seen a Rusk since your childhood, Chris, and, and what did you make of it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought uh, I thought they were... They were really fast in the past. I know if, if I'm trying to look for differences between um, between a Jim Gannon side and a Simon Russ side, I think the the passing was a was probably a lot more assured. And I also noticed the difference on the touchline, and it certainly felt like um, there was less shouting, and I think there was more empowering of 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 players to um, 
to to come out and show what they're capable of. I think that's what I noticed in in only 19 minutes actually. Um, but in the game itself, County should have been about three nil up by half time. I thought they had lots of chances. In the second half, Yeovil came back into the game. Uh, came back into it, could have could have got an equaliser, and that's certainly uh, certainly something that the the, the, sort of the rest of the media thought as well. Um, one thing I will say is you can see why Yeovil have got a shocking disciplinary record. I think Yeovil would have been perfect for two thousand and one, where you didn't get booked <laughs> for every single challenge almost that you do. But I think almost fifteen minutes into the game and keeping my little stats chart for the for the non league paper, I already had ten free kicks conceded. And that can't help a team if they're giving it because you, you're essentially giving away possession ten times in, in fifteen minutes. So you're hamstringing yourself straight away. I think some of the challenges they make, as I say, would have been fine twenty years ago. But you just can't make these days. Uh, it'll be a free kick or, or a yellow card. And and finally, the one at the end where Lee Collins got got sent off was worst tackle of the season. But, do you know what? I think I think it was. I think it was Michael Kelly who tried to do something very, who did something very similar uh, about 10 minutes earlier, but was a bit more savvy and only got a booking for it. So, um, no, it was a terrible challenge and, and all uh, fair play to, to Rebecca Walsh, because I think that was a, a straight red. And um, apart from Lee Collins, I don't think anyone could have any complaints. Yeah, and you caught up with Darren Sal after the game. So, Darren, it was a hard-fought game. Can you sum up your thoughts? Listen, the tie was very close. I thought we probably had the better of the second half um, when we asserted a little bit more pressure. I thought we asserted a little bit more belief second half. Um, and that young team needs, you know, young players sometimes need that. They need that kind of jolt and that backing to say, go on, you can, you can do a little bit more here. You can go a little bit further or you can go the other way. So that's what we tried to give them at half-time. A little bit of encouragement, lots of confidence, belief. Um, and I thought we, listen, I think on... Uh, on the chances we created, and we definitely deserved the goal. Would it be fair to say, or would it be being unfair to say that you started slowly in the game? Yeah, we, we were physically dominated for the first, I would say, 35 minutes. You could see that. And that's what you get with established players. You get that with experienced players. And the young ones needed some assurance at half-time. You know, Ruben Reid said that they don't really need that assurance. They've been to the puppet show. They know there's a hand in the sock. But... Um, I thought uh, I thought second half when they come out with a little bit more belief behind them, a little bit more impetus, a little bit more intent. You know, we saw some senior players at Stockport really have a big wobble there. So, but that they got the important goal and winning is all that matters. In the context of the season, you've had a good run recently. Is this a big setback? No, 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 no. I think I think the performance level is good. I think if uh, Stockport are third, fourth, fifth, wherever they are, I think it gives you an indication of where we can go. I think it gives you hope because the great thing is when you have a, a young team or a new team is that you hope there's lots of growth in it um, when you have a senior team and they're all in their you know in their kind of back nine we'll say the growth is minimal so I hope there's a lot of growth there I hope there's a lot of growth there people like Knowles who'd have never you know the pitch is tricky some of these boys with academy experience here they've never seen pitches like this this is <laughs> This is this is a completely new thing for them. So, um, but I think I think we'll grow from it. I really do. And you must be feeling a lot more comfortable now at this stage of the season. I mean, with the league as it is, it's quite compressed. You could you could fly up with a few more wins. I absolutely, think we will. I still think come the end of the season we'll be there. I really do because I think as we work with this group of players, um, 
I think they get better and better, and I think we'll we'll really push. But I think with players coming back as well, we should have players coming back probably in the next fortnight and definitely within the month. I think we'll have that little bit more depth. I think we'll have that little bit more experience and a little bit more um, robustness, and uh, and that will definitely help us in what is a brutal league. Thanks for your time, Darren. Top, Their good little runs come to an end now, hasn't it? Um, yes, but he's not too downhearted about it, to be honest. If you look at the, the form, they're still right up there in the form charts. Both sides are, are up there in, in the form charts that played each other yesterday. And um, I think he was pleased with the way that his young team, he mentioned that quite a few times to me and, and, to, and to the other in the other interviews, he was quite happy with the way his young team responded at halftime because they weren't really in the game in the first half. Um, and he was very big on saying that these are experienced that, is that they will learn from. He was also um, mentioning that, you know, there's not much in between that big bunch in the middle of the, uh, in the National League. So there's room for progression this season as well. Yeah, big news out of Wrexham this week. The takeover from Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds has, has finally been rubber stamped. And they started off that reign with a 2-2 draw against Dagenham and Redbridge. Interestingly for Wrexham, both fullbacks scored Jamie Record and Reese Hall-Johnson, which put them 2-0 up. Um, but then Robinson and Dean Rance, I mean, a player you know well, Rob. He's not the tallest, is he? Pops up with a towering header at the back post. I know Grant Holt was uh, eulogising about it on the, the VT Sport programme yesterday. Yeah, <clears throat> he's been around this level for quite a while, wasn't he? It was years and years at Ebbsfleet was Rance and... Uh... Obviously, skipper at Aldershot, and uh, funnily enough, he uh, he scored uh, a headed goal at uh, Aldershot this season when he came back as well. He doesn't get too many, but uh, yeah, there's something a bit special, isn't there? When the more diminutive players head home, I think uh, Michael Patrasso did something similar for Barnet at Aldershot on uh, uh, you know back in midweek. So yeah, well done, Dean Rance, and uh, another game ends up in a draw. So difficult, isn't it, to wrestle to keep hold of the three points at this level and. Uh, all too often, uh, it can disappear in a, in a cloud of smoke in the final moments. Yeah, talking of draws, that's exactly what happened down in Eastley, where Eastley has already taken all three points. Tyrone Barnett, the, the evergreen Tyrone Barnett, I was still thinking he was quite young, he's 35 now. He opened the scoring in the first half. Joe Partington, though, picked up two yellow cards before the halftime whistle. That left the Spyrox with 45 minutes to survive. And as I say, they nearly did. But Joe Sabara picked, popped up in the third minute of injury time. And, and that's a big point for Solihull because they've not played for a couple of weeks because of the weather. And uh, they just needed that for to kind of get back on track a little bit. Yeah, I think so far you would say that um, that Solihull are underachieving um, this season. I know I certainly had them up there in my uh, pre-season prediction. So um, anything that can spark a run in this difficult season where, as you say, weather and COVID and all sorts are, uh, are hampering people, uh, you need to get a bit of momentum. So they'll be pleased with that. That'll feel like a win, actually. And um, we can take that into the next game. And... Uh... Boreham Wood, they re-signed Tyrone Marsh this week. He proved vital as he scored the winner eight minutes into the second half. And Boreham Wood have got some ammunition at their disposal now, haven't they, going forward? They certainly have with the uh, reappearance of uh, Tyrone Marsh, who seems very, very happy to come back, quite telling that he he got the goal. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I can say he can take some some weight off Kabongo Shimanga, but I don't know if he wants any weight taken off, does he? He's absolutely flying again now. And uh, what a good signing 
he's proved to be. Matt Reed still plays quite a lot, but I think he probably gives an awful lot to the team in other ways rather than uh, you know smashing the ball in the back of the net that often. Yeah, Maidenhead, I mean, they're a funny side, aren't they? They're better away from home than they are at home, as they were last year. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything in that. I know the York Road pitch takes a bit of a hammer and it's not always uh, uh, in their favour. But, um, they, you know, Devonshire's got a way of scrapping and getting results one way or another, wherever it is. Uh, and they're having a decent season. There's no, there's no getting away from, from that now. So I know they didn't play on Saturday, but again, Altingham, they pulled the rabbit out of the hat. They went down to Torquay and went behind on Tuesday evening and then came from behind to win. I mean, what an outstanding that result that result was. And I know Rob mentions about Alan Devonshire maybe in the in the mix for manager of the year, but surely we've got a Crownfield Parkinson manager of the year already, haven't we? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said that about three weeks ago, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone sort of looked at me. Don't be claiming that one. Um, but yeah, if I mean, I think he's uh, he's almost sealed it already, hasn't he? I think by uh, by February. What a, what a victory that is. I mean... <laughs> Take take out of the fact that you know Tokyo top of the league have been beating everyone, and put in the fact that what a journey that is to start off with midweek for for Altrincham, and to hang in there and to get a victory sent shockwaves around the the league. And also, I think a lot of people will be sending him ni- very nice emails this week and saying, "Thank God you've shown us how to how to beat Torquay and you've kept the title race interested." Somebody who's had a, a very good weekend as well be Brian Stock he'll be he'll be enjoying himself they got a vital victory over Bromley they had been on a, a nice little run then they lost the last two but he bounced back on Saturday two early goals from Andrew Dallas he's on loan from Cambridge United so Weymouth pick up the three points against Bromley Joe Kizzy did get a goal back for the visitors but Chris Bush and Charlie Wakefield both saw red in the second half for the Ravens and then Ngarlo picked up a second yellow for Weymouth in the second half. And that's a massive win for the Terriers. It sees them actually climb out of the bottom three now, albeit they have played about three games more than everyone, but still psychologically, Tom, that's a massive boost, isn't it? As you've, as you've rightly said, they have been sort of uh, struggling along. Um, they've had two very, very good seasons in a row. So I think when you get so used to winning, when you're then not doing it every week, it becomes quite difficult, even if actually for Weymouth to be in a position to avoid relegation at all at this level is a really impressive place to be. Um, it, don't, it won't feel like that because they're so used to being at the top and winning every week. Um, so, yeah, really important victory for them. Um, um, and, and to go and beat Bromley is a, is a really solid result. Luke, what I would say is bringing uh, Dallas on loan it was a bit of a masterstroke, wasn't it? Shows the no cowboys. Brill, I know. I was just uh, I was trying to think of something, but well done, Chris. <laughs> Even Dicky looked impressed by that. He's been Dicky. I could see him scratching his chin trying to think of something, and he was beaten to it. Yeah, no. So they, they've they've struck oil with him, haven't they? <laughs> We're going to look quickly now at the National League South. At the top of the table, there was a Kent derby, and Dartford in the end secured a big point coming from two 0 down, didn't he, against Welling? I have to say, you, Dartford should be winning that. Um, by all rights, you know, Welling have struggled all season. Um, there's a reason they're bottom of the league with only eight points at the start of play yesterday. Um, I know they've got game in hand, but, but Welling have found it very difficult this year. Um, I don't, I worry about Dartford, you know, in terms of their ambition as title uh, contenders, because although they are top at the moment, uh, there's three teams behind them, Dorking, St Albans and Hampton, who've all got games in hand. And having seen Dartford play, 
I just still don't think that Steve King knows what his best side is. Um, he has been dropping in at least one or two players every single week since the season began. And I just don't think that builds the consistency. Um, you know, you look at who who got the goals from yesterday was Luke Allen and Jacob Barkley Ajapong. They are two of the people who have actually been there since the start of the season. But particularly across the forward line, it's changed week in, week in, week out. And they need to start building that consistency if they're going to want to uh, finish ahead of the likes of Dorking, who did win again yesterday. Yeah, we'll get on to Dorking. I mean, I know Mark White's been very keen to get the season going and uh, they flew out the blocks and beat Hemel Hempstead comfortably in the end. They did, yeah. Um, and it was another double for Jason Pryor, who's back um, back in in the matches and back in the goals after that really horrible cut he got on his ankle against Hampton and Richmond Borough. Um, that's a really good result for them. Um, Hemel are no slouches. They've been one of the, when they're on form, they're, they're one of the most effective attacking teams that I've seen so far this season. Um, so that's a really good result for Dorking and nice for them to get the prior Rutherford combination working because um, there haven't been many times when they've both played and scored uh, in the same match. So it's good to see them firing together. Um, and that's, you know, at the end of the day, Mark White makes no secret about the fact he wants promotion, he wants to be winning this league, and those are the sort of three-point victories you need to be getting away from home to do that. Yeah, and interesting in around the playoff places, Hungerford, they slipped up at Eastbourne, two goals for Charlie Lambert, either side of a Ryan Seager goal for Hungerford, left the game on the knife edge, but then Joel Rollinson scored a vital goal in stoppage time before Seager added a penalty, but it was too little too late. Coupled with that, and a really good win for Hampton at Tunbridge. Yeah, two very important results that. Um, I think... Eastbourne, it's no surprise to me that they beat Hungerford. Hungerford are having a great season, but there can't be many places in the National League South that are more difficult to go to on a blustery February uh, afternoon. Uh, Eastbourne's a long way from Hungerford, um, and, and that's a tricky away tie. And, and Eastbourne plays some great football. That sort of trio they've got up front uh, in terms of uh, Lambert, Lua, um, and Charlie Kendall when he plays as well. They're, they're so effective. Um, and it's no no shock that Charlie Lambert got a couple of goals yesterday as well. Um, in terms of Hampton's win, um, I mean, they they dominated from start to finish, I have to say. They, they could have been four or five goals up by half-time. The opener from Charlie Wasmore was the beautiful header at the back post, looping header over, over Jonathan Henley's despairing dive. Um, and, and it was great to see Wasmer among the goals because he's had a really uh, injury-disrupted sort of last 12 months. Um, and then David Fisher, the young lad who joined from AFC Wimbledon, got the second, and Rue Donaldson got his third, uh, got the third for Hampton. So a really impressive win. Um, and makes it seven away victories on the trot in the league, eight away victories on the trot in all competitions, which is a really remarkable run. And Tom caught up with David Fisher, who got one of the goals at Tombridge, and he caught up with him earlier on. So uh, I'm joined by David Fisher, um, who uh, got Hampton and Richmond's second goal yesterday. Um, it was a big three points for the Beavers away at Tunbridge yesterday, David. Um, you kept your, um, your winning run away from home going. That's seven on the road now. Do you feel like you're going to win every time you take the pitch away from home? Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, we've got a group of boys um, put together by the gaffer, obviously, and I think we've just gone from strength to strength. Every game, we feel like we're getting better. We're doing the right things. We're playing in the right areas. And at the same time, we're creating so many chances that I feel that at some point, something's going to something's gonna give. And we're just going to keep on scoring goals. And obviously, yesterday, we won 3-0 away from home. And it was a great, it was a very, it was a very good game from everyone, really. Everyone played really well and, we, uh, yeah, we done really well. 
Um, so one of the things that is notable about the way Gary McCann sets his team up is he likes to press hard. He likes to defend from the front. And that seems to suit your game perfectly. Out of possession, you are so aggressive. Is that Have you always been like that or is that because that's how Gary wants you to play? I've always sort of had that in me. Like when I was a scholar at um, AFC Wimbledon, um, that's, the, that's the sort of style of play that we had. And I feel like that's set me up perfectly for the way the gaffers wanting to play, pressing from the front and just being aggressive in absolutely everything. Like from the front, I feel us four up, up top, just I would say the majority of the time we actually go and win the ball um, higher up the pitch, which sets us up for the counter-attacks and just attacking, just attacking play in general. And I just feel like it's such a good way to play Mm. Um, rather than just sitting off and waiting for them to come to us. We're, we're the ones actually initiating the attack and we're going to go for them rather than just sitting and waiting for people to come for us. Absolutely, Ian. Uh, you mentioned about the fact that you're a scholar at AFC Wimbledon. Uh, you, you know, you're very highly rated there and uh, you had your loan spell at Car Shelton. Obviously, you're an ambitious guy. What was it about Hampton and Richmond that attracted you uh, in terms of an opportunity to potentially get back into the Football League? Well, the gaffer, obviously, we had a chat over the phone and um, the way that he sort of presented the club and everything like that, it's just sort of fitted perfectly with the way that I like to play. I love to play in a 4-3-3 sort of formation out on the wing, up front. I'm more than comfortable playing in either sort of position and just everything about the club when I first came in was just unbelievable, like, I genuinely think that the gaffer's got something really, really good brewing at Hampton and I'm just really excited to be a part of that for now as well. And I believe that we can go for promotion, not just through the playoffs, but automatics. So, yeah, I'm just really pleased that I've made that decision and actually come come here as well. So, yeah, really pleased with that. And in terms of that promotion campaign... Um... Obviously, there's a lot of talk about whether the season's going to continue or not. What would it mean to you as a group of players to be able to uh, finish the season and go on and see how far you can take this one of them? Oh, it's massive. It's massive, definitely. Um, I mean, the bo- I know the boys want to carry on. Um, whether that is um, being paid or whatever, I know the boys really want to get this going and make make it work, really, because... It's a massive, massive chance to get promoted and get into the conference and break in there. And we don't want to obviously pass that up. And it's a huge opportunity for us. And uh, yeah, we're just really excited and really want to go and do it. Well, thanks very much, Dave. Uh, David. That's, uh, that's great. Um, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you. We have to mention, um, we have to mention the Billericke result as well. Um, for me, that is the result of the day. Mm. Um, now, I got, a, I got a rather excitable text off Ian Herring about that. He was really <laughs> that as well. I mean, I think that's that result will have sent shockwaves around the division. Um, Billericke made no secret about the fact that they were furloughing their contracted players. Um, and, and this, again, I, I have to divert towards that. We're talking about null and void, as if there's no other possible way to get fixtures to happen. The, there are so many other options. There are thousands of players around there who would play for free who are non-contracted at the moment, who are playing at step three or step four. And Bill and Ricky have shown us that they can do it on a cost-reduced basis. They furloughed their contracted players. They've got five players on non-contract 
and they bolstered them with academy players. Um, and it was an academy player who who got the crucial 87th minute equaliser, Ipanga Mbambe, after Rowan Leibert had put them ahead. And then uh, Francis Jefferson, Solomon, uh, Nwabuoke got the goals for St Albans. And for Billericke, who've been in such a difficult period over the last few months, to take a point off St Albans and to score twice against St Albans, um, I think that's only the second time that's happened this season. They've only conceded nine goals in um, in 14 games. It's really remarkable. So absolute credit to Billericke Town. That's a fantastic result. Um, and just goes to show, you know, there'll be plenty of managers looking at that result and thinking, actually, maybe I can afford to drop some of my under-23s in because we might have some gems in there. Not just that, but you can get youth loans from football league clubs and they cost clubs nothing usually and you'll get some good players. And like you say, Tom, you'll probably get somebody who's happy to play for 50 quid a week from step four and, and could do a job as well. Absolutely. I know certainly that's what Southport did. They brought in three youth loans from Accrington and again, it would cost them nothing, but you'd imagine they'd be, they'd be decent players. So yeah, it, it can be done. And, and like, it's like I mentioned earlier without going over old ground. I think some clubs are maybe throwing in the towel too easily, but hey, I stand corrected and, and feel free to uh, get in touch on Twitter at NL full time. At Luke Edwards. Yeah. FAO. Yeah. So we're going to look now at the National League North. And this won't take long at all. Uh, there was one game in the National League North, and it was played down in Northamptonshire. Yeah, it was. Yeah, just one uh, one solitary fixture uh, left standing yesterday. Would have I think it would have been more than that, but the York City versus Alfreton game got killed, called off because um, of a, a waterlogged pitch yesterday morning. So yeah, just one fixture in National League North, and uh, surely weren't able to make an immediate. Uh, bounced back to to their good league form uh, following the end of their FA Cup run. They lost 2-1 at Brackley Town. Elliot Newby put them ahead in the first half, but then goals in the second half from Jimmy Armson and Wes York gave Brackley all three points. That kept them in the playoff places and actually bumped them up one position to fourth. Um, Surely missed their chance to join them in the playoff places. They stay in ninth. Brilliant. That was short and sweet. Uh, thanks to Dickie and to Chris. Cheers, Tom. Take care, Tom. And we'll see you all very soon. I've been Luke Edwards. Don't forget to subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms. As I say, give us a follow on Twitter as well, at NL Full Time. Until then, we'll see you all very soon and look after yourselves. Cheers, guys. Have a good week. 